Good morning. Uh, we are the Cole family, and I'm their favored son. Um, our Old Testament reading is found in Joshua 4, 4-7. to So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I am Martha. The New Testament reading is found in Acts three thirteen through 16, the NIV. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. The word of the Lord. Hi, I'm Jim, and please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading today is found in Matthew 22. Verses 29 through 33, Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching, the gospel of the Lord. Every once in a while, Pastor Brady and Pastor Glenn take a leave of their senses and ask me to speak. So this is that day. And last time I was here preaching, I made the mistake of trying to look cool and be like Glenn and preach from my iPad. And it didn't go well. It kept locking up and scrolling up. So to use the vernacular of the younger generation, I need to stay in my wheelhouse. And my wheelhouse, folks, are, these are called notes. This one or two. Some of you have never seen these before. There's no passcode. Uh, I didn't charge it this morning, but it works every time. So I thought that might be easier. Let me check the time. Oh, we're doing okay. In our Old Testament reading this morning, it talked about Joshua having the, the representatives from each of the 12 tribes take a large stone from the center of the Jordan where, remember, the, uh, the, the bottom of the river was, was exposed because God had performed that miracle and divided the waters so that the people of Israel could walk on dry ground. And it says they took 12 large stones And they put them up and stacked them up as a memorial. But do you remember the whole point of the gospel reading? The whole point of doing this rather labor-intensive task was so that when children would walk by 
at any time in the future and would ask, why? Why? Why is that there? What does that mean? You could tell them the story of God's redemption in your lives. What's so fascinating to me about that is that it's all organized and arranged around such a typically common intergenerational activity. Little children ask questions, don't they? I have, I have some little grandchildren, and I have a very, very verbal four-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, borderline precocious, who asks everything. And if you know what that's like as a parent, certainly, why, why, why? Because eventually, what do you say? Because I told you so, right? Well, we as grandparents get the luxury of being a little more patient because we know at the end of the time we can hand them back to you. And... But yet the kids ask questions. Why? I, I'm Papa. That's my grandpa name. And where you, I got to go. Why? Well, finally, because I have to go use the restroom. Why? You know, because. <laughs> and so here, set up in Scripture, is this passage that says, do this so that when the children are walking by and the inevitable question comes, why are those stones stacked up? Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa? You can tell them the story of God's redemptive activity in your lives. The other two readings, both from the, uh, the book of Acts and the gospel of Matthew, identify what is, without doubt, the most common name for God throughout Old Testament Israel history. He's called what? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And both of those New Testament passages, one in Jesus, another, the the apostles say, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did this. And we're so familiar with that. And that's one of the ways in which we worship God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But do you realize that in those three titles, you've got three generations. You've got Abraham, the grandfather, Isaac, the father, and Jacob, the son. Now, Glenn and his family, uh, they're not here today. They had a wonderful opportunity. Glenn's sister, who uh, has lived abroad for many years, was able to come and join them for the first time in many years with her kids for all of them to have a wonderful Christmas celebration. But many of you know Pastor David Packiam, Glenn's father, who sits over here. If you can imagine David standing here with Glenn and Glenn's little boy, Jonas, Can you imagine if constantly he was to refer to the God of David, Glenn, and Jonas? Or to make it more personal, uh, my son Eric, many of you know Eric, of course he he plays on the stage many times and uh, plays the guitar, and they have little Jonah, their firstborn. They have little Noah who's over here as well. But Jonah's his firstborn. Can you imagine? It almost almost sounds heretical if I were to say, let's just worship the God of Stephen, Eric, and Jonah. Can we just give glory to the God of Stephen, Eric, and Jonah? You'd say, what is your problem? But that's no more odd than the way God set it up, that the name that he would be known by, Yahweh, of course, I am that I am, but beyond that would be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's faith was very different from Isaac and Jacob. Abraham was a pagan, 
living in a, in a land, he knew nothing of the idea of one God, and yet God miraculously reveals himself. He hears the voice of God. God says, get up and go to a place you don't even know, and Abraham obeys. And so Abraham's faith was forged out of this, this unknown relationship with this unknown God that he becomes familiar with and eventually enters into covenant with, and his name, Abram, is changed to Abraham after the establishing of that covenant. His son Isaac, the second one in the generation tree, has a very different faith than his father. Isaac is, of course, the product of Abraham and, and Sarah, his wife, being visited when she's 90 and, or 80 and 90 years old. And angels come and say, your wife's going to get pregnant and have a child. And do you remember, what does Sarah do? She laughs. And when she gets pregnant and Isaac is born, she names him laughter, which is what Isaac means in Hebrew. So Isaac surely heard that story all the time as a kid growing up. And then we have that drama of Abraham being told by God, take Isaac up to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And, and then God at the seemingly last minute intervenes and provides a ram. And all of this happens. And so Isaac's faith is forged out of his father's faithfulness and his mother's faithfulness and the promise of God in their life. But then Isaac grows up and has twins. How many here have twins? God bless you guys. Man, I can't imagine. Um, Esau is about 10 minutes older than Isaac. And so according to the custom of the day, Esau is going to be the, essentially the manager of the family estate. He gets the birthright. But Isaac and his mother, because Isaac is his mother's favorite. Um, Martha, I love, <laughs> I love the comment. <laughs> Reminds me of the Smothers Brothers, you know. Now, did I just age myself? Did I just clearly... How many of you know that, what I meant by that comment? Look at that. Young people, look around. You realize that there's a bunch of us that know what I said, and you have no idea what I just meant. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> you always loved him more. Now, Isaac was loved, or excuse me, Jacob was loved more by his mom than Esau. She, he was her favorite. And so he and his mom work out this scheme. His brother comes in, he's hungry, and he trades for a bowl of porridge, the birthright. And then they trick the old man who's got dementia and he's blind. And Isaac is, is tricked into putting his hand on, on uh, his son Jacob and this whole ruse with the animal skin and all of that. What an odd, dysfunctional family. And yet that family is put into the very name of God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No less dysfunctional than the God of Stephen, Eric, and Jonah. Or you could name it in, <laughs> with your family members. You see, and we call this intergenerational faith, when Glenn and I talked about this, we thought it would be fun to, to just talk for a few minutes about the idea of how we work our faith together with different generations. You see, it's probably our generation's fault. How many, I want to establish something, how many of you are, I hate to ask this because I know people don't like, if you want to lie about your age, that, that's fine, but forever know your, people are going to know you're lying at this point. How many of you in this room are 50 years old or older? Would you raise your hands? Okay, I want the rest of you to look around. That's about a third of us. How many of you in this room are in your 30s or younger? Raise your hand. Okay. And you 40-year-olds, uh, you're just kind of in the middle. And... 
Nobody cares about you, I guess. It's partly our fault. I was a part of the Jesus movement, as many of you know, and Linda, my wife and I, were very active in that in Southern California in the early years, and then I pastored in the vineyard for years. And through that, all of those, those seasons, we started something that no generation previous to us ever did. We established a parallel worship universe for our children over against the adults. I grew up in traditional church. And in my traditional church, we had early service, Sunday school, late service. How many of you, some of you grew up in the same thing? There was, Sunday school was what you did either before, after, or between the service. And where were the, where were the kids in church? They were in church, right? Now, I'm not saying that, that we have to change all that and have no children's ministry. I'm not, I'm not even addressing the issue of should kids be in the service every week. That's not the point. Here's the point. We did a good job of providing for you, especially the 20 and 30-somethings, this parallel universe of your faith being somehow different than our faith. This kind of went like this. And because of that, at this time, more than ever before, there is so much written, so much research done, so many blogs, so many books that seem to address the differences in culture. We have the, the uh, builders, the boomers, the busters, Gen X, the millennials, Generation Y, and so on and so forth. And there's so much press given to the differences between generations, isn't there? And what I'm not, I'm not suggesting that isn't true. What I am suggesting is that we need to somehow come back to understanding the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as one faith. How do we live out our faith together when our generations seem so different. Well, the New Testament addresses this all through uh, the epistles. We read Timothy and Titus particularly talking about the older women teaching the younger women, the older men teaching the younger men, and these kind of relationships. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 15, I'm reading from the NIV. It says... Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. One translation says, though you have 10,000 mentors. Another says, though you have 10,000 advisors. In other words, there's a lot of people that would like to tell you what you're doing wrong in your Christian life. There's a lot of people that would like to critique you and show you the right way But there aren't a lot of people that will invest in your life as a mother or a father would to come alongside you and help you and encourage you. So how do we do this intergenerational faith thing? How do we make it work? Why is it so difficult? Why do our generations not seem to enjoy and to get along worshiping together? I mean, we hear the music's too loud. And and by the way, for the younger folks, it really is. Okay, I just wanted to establish that fact. Uh, we're not making that up. It, it hurts our ears. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I heard a couple. <laughs> you see, though, it's not just music style, and it's not just social media. Hashtag old school. Hashtag what is Instagram. Hashtag who told you bow ties were cool. I know who Jimmy Kimmel is, haha. I even saw that, that clip with him and Justin, what's his name? Okay. 
<laughs> I had to try to be cool and work that in. Somebody suggested I wear a bow tie today, and I thought, yeah. Why are Glens always crooked? Um, you know, that's just one of those thoughts. So I plotted through so many articles and blogs, and, and most of it was nonsense and fluff. Some of it was a little bit relevant. Some of it was myth. Most of it I could care less about. But I uncovered a few little things. And I'd like to make just a few observations. I didn't put a slide up for this for two reasons. One is I didn't want to, you know, commit death by PowerPoint, which I've been known to do in the past. And the second is I didn't really want it to be the focus of what we're talking about. I just wanted to make some observations. And I, I found... Two lists of four things. What the, I'm now talking to those of you that are 50 and over. My, my, my peeps. Do they use the word peeps anymore? I don't know. I, I never used it, so it's hard to know. Far out. Um, <laughs> right on. <laughs> it was groovy, man. <laughs> but we never used the word sick in a positive way, never. That, was, that made no sense at all. Uh, so four things that the younger generation would like us to know about them. Number one, because I hear this a lot, they are not addicted to technology. They are technology natives. Think about that. They are technology natives. They can't remember a time when they didn't have these electronic technological components in their hands. And so using them is second nature. How many of you have a grandchild, a young grandchild that knows how to use your smartphone? Yeah, I'm seeing the hands. Me too. I've had them delete apps. I've had them open apps. I've had them look through pictures. You know, it gets to where my grandkids get frustrated if they can't, you know, slide a screen and make it move. So... The younger generation is not addicted to technology. They, they literally have grown up with this. They don't have a 12-second attention span like we think they do, okay? But they have learned, and they do understand that it's good to talk face-to-face. They do know how to use a phone to actually make a phone call. They understand these things, but they also know that some communications don't need that, and they, know, they like the ability to choose different formats for different kinds of conversations and communications, Am I right, younger people? Yeah, it's not. So to the older people, the young ones aren't addicted. They're technological natives. Number two, they are not primarily motivated by money. So that's why they aren't getting right out of school and getting the great job necessarily and doing the things we think are important to build your life and what have you. In fact, you'll hear words like authenticity and organic, and they're not just talking about overpriced grocery stores. You know, they use these terms because they really want genuine relationships more than things. A third observation, something that the younger generation would like us to know about them. They want to be inspired to do something significant with their lives. They're actually looking for heroes and role models. One could argue maybe that's the obsession with superheroes and all the... This stuff, but that aside, they really are wanting to be inspired to do something bigger than themselves and for the sake of others than just themselves. There's a social consciousness that they have that is remarkable and admirable. And finally, 
They value mentoring, but they really aren't sure that we really want to spend the time to invest in them. And so they're a little afraid to ask us because we haven't exactly given them the impression that we're open to it. So I've jumped on the old guys now. Here's some things, now I'm talking to the younger folks. Here's some things we, our generation, would like you to know about us. We're not idiots about technology, but we are technological immigrants, not natives. You don't expect an immigrant who just shows up to speak perfect English, do you? You're calm and gracious and polite and and patient with them, aren't you? We remember the first computer, and it wasn't that many years ago in our mind. And we were amazed by it. And we knew control, delete, fixed everything. And so we're, we're immigrants to all of this. I only got my first smartphone a short time ago. So somewhere between treating us like a first grader, rolling your eyes and just give it to me, you know, I'll fix it for you. And, you know, and just blowing past us with instructions, be a little patient with us because we aren't fools but it, we are immigrants to this, okay? And so the natural default for us is to move away from it, not move towards it. And we don't have as strong a thumb muscles as you guys. Uh, that's for sure. Second thing we'd like you to know about us, we value productivity. It's not that we're all out for the money. It's not that we're just trying to accomplish that and get things. But we were taught that idleness and laziness were the same thing. We were taught that you should apply yourself and work hard and produce so that you can give and do something significant with your life. So understand that it's not just all about money for us either. But productivity was important as we were raised. And this is a big one that we, won't talk, we don't talk enough about, but it's, it's the way our generation is wired. We value respect. And we want to show respect to others, but we want to be treated with respect. And we would rather be respected than ridiculed. And yet, oftentimes our generation feels ridiculed by the younger generation because of some of the things we mentioned before. But we really do value respect. And then finally, and this is the one we never tell you, we're actually a whole lot more insecure than you think we are. Amen? We really are. I thought by the time I was the age I am, I would really be a lot more mature and secure than I am. I looked at my dad and I saw him as just this strong, you know, like a brick wall guy who, who, you know, and and now my father passed away when I was young. I was in my 20s. I'm two years older than my dad was when he passed away. And I think, guy, I sure don't feel like that brick wall he was. So we are insecure. so, So just be patient with us. But what I really want to talk about, and I want to just take the last few minutes, is I want to give us a biblical model for how I think this should work in our lives, in our faith, and even in our church and our congregation here. And I want you to think of three men that are mentioned in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, his traveling companion Barnabas, and the youngster Timothy. Now, Paul was a, was a strong guy. Paul had 
Uh, he knew where he was going, you know, don't get in his way or he'll run you over. And Paul and Barnabas became traveling partners and missionary partners. What does Barnabas's name mean in the Greek language? Encouragement, son of encouragement. Barnabas was the guy you wanted to talk to because he always had life-giving words, encouraging words, affirming words. Some of you have friends like that? Don't you love when, when they talk to you? So Barnabas is the encourager, Paul's the father, and then you've got Timothy, this young son in the faith. And I heard this probably 20-some years ago at one of the earlier Promise Keepers uh, conferences. Dr. Uh, uh, Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary shared this, and I've never forgotten it. It was five minutes long was all, and I've never forgotten it. He said, we need to be and to have... Paul, Barnabas, and Silas, all in our lives at the same time. Now, I understand they're all men, but I think it's, a, it's fair to the text to say gender has nothing to do with this. We're talking about men and about women. And what that means is this. We need to be Paul's. Those, we need to, we've walked longer and farther and harder and, and through more challenges in our spiritual life than a lot of other people that are younger than us. So we need to be the spiritual mothers and fathers around them. And some of you that are younger, you're older than some. There's those that are younger than you. So as Paul's, whether we're men or women, we need to all have Timothys around us. We need to take the time to pour into their lives. And you know what? If you invite them to lunch, they'll actually come. Last year, Linda and I hosted one of the, when we first started the the, uh, dinner groups, we had a summer dinner group here, and there's a couple of you probably that are here that were a part of that group. It was all 20-somethings, singles, that showed up at our house. And so we actually asked them once. We said, like the first night, we said, um, did you guys, like, not know us when, you know, you signed up on the list? And it wasn't Beth. It was one of the other girls who said, yeah, we knew who you were. We knew you were old. <laughs> and then she got all, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I mean, I accept it. And it was wonderful. The one challenge being about 10.30 that night, they were not even thinking about leaving, and we were thinking about them leaving. But, <laughs> but that aside, it was wonderful. So we need to have, as we need to be Pauls, and we need to have Timothys in our life. And you know what? We all need to be Timothys and look for the Pauls. We need to look for the people that are a generation ahead of us and make sure some of them are speaking into our lives as well. And everyone needs a Barnabas somewhere. And everyone needs to, the best you can, try to be a Barnabas in somebody else's life. I pastored for a lot of years. And those of you that have pastored know that generally the mail you get is negative mail. And I actually had a file and I actually titled the file, My Barnabas File, which when the every once in a while occasional little card or letter that said something affirming and life-giving came across my desk, I put it in the Barnabas File so that on days when I was real discouraged, I could pull it out and read that somebody cared and somebody was kind and somebody was life-giving and nice to me. But you know what? I need to be that. I need to be that to others and affirm them and love them. And I need those people in my life. 
So how do we do this intergenerational faith thing? Well, you guys are always going to be better at the stuff than us. We're going to always be complaining a little bit about the music. Get, just, just deal with it. Our parents didn't like our music. I mean, you won't like your kids' music, okay? It's just it's part of the package. But we can love each other. We can be Paul's. We can be Timothy's. We can be Barnabas's. And we can be in relationship with one another in a way that allows our crazy, dysfunctional, multi-intergenerational group to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and together be understood and that we are all in relationship with God, messed up as we are, and we're in this together and we're growing together. Amen? Let's, let's just have a quick word of prayer and then Jesse's going to come up and lead us in the Eucharist. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you gave such clear demonstration of your love for all people, young, old, and everything in between. Lord God, may we be women and men, young women and young men, old women and old men, who love each other, who encourage and pour our lives into one another and take the risk, the young ones taking the risk to reach out to the older and the older taking the risk to reach out to the younger, and all of us being encouragers one to another. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.